Franciscan values are respect for the dignity of each person, peace and justice, reverence for creation, and education for truth and service. So as that makes evident, reverence for creation is in our bones here. This is Jane Linehan, the Director of Religious Studies and Philosophy Program at Madonna University, a Franciscan school started by the Felician Sisters in Livonia. I think it goes back to the word integral that Pope Francis uses. Human flourishing is part of the Earth's flourishing and vice versa. So if you're going to preach the gospel, that means you have to live it and put it into practice. And if we are not taking care of our home and our responsibility to the people of the earth, not just the people in our own community, but that's where it starts. You start at home. Starting at home is something Madonna University started doing in a big way back in 2009 with their first new building in four decades, the Franciscan Center for Science and Media. It's powered by geothermal and has 432 solar panels on top, and it's Livonia's first building to be certified gold level for leadership in energy and environmental design, known as LEED. This drive to be sustainable set a new precedent on campus where there is now a sustainability course for students. The planting of native shrubbery throughout campus to promote habitat and food for local pollinators and birds, bioswales and rain gardens to absorb water runoff, and the latest addition, four electrical vehicle charging stations. Creation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. It has been entrusted to us to take care of. And that is a supreme privilege. And I think we're, we're answerable for what we do with God's belongings. That includes the earth, that includes our fellow human beings. We're answerable for the way we treat them. This animus is what Pope Francis is hoping to inspire when he published an apostolic exhortation, Laudatum Deum, in October of 2023. In it, he builds on his 2015 encyclical, Laudate Si, exhorting the world to see ecological issues as a global social issue relating to the dignity of human life. He calls it one of the principal challenges facing society and the global community, and says that the effects of climate change are borne by the most vulnerable people, whether at home or around the world. Today on Detroit Stories, we take a look at how Catholic communities throughout Detroit are responding to this call. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Thinking about the probability of dying is something that none of us wants to face. No matter what we do, all of us will pass away one day. Preparing now is a great way to help our loved ones during their grieving process and ensure our final wishes are followed. Our caring friends at the Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services can help you. Visit cfcsdetroit.org or call 734-285-2155. The Sisters, Servants of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, founded their order in the 1800s 
on the banks of the River Raisin to educate the farming families who built strip farms along its shores. Sisters often refer to being founded on the, on the banks of the River Raisin and in the River Raisin watershed. This is Danielle Conroyd, the Director for Sustainability Campus Planning for the Monroe-based IHM Sisters. And so always seeing themselves in the context of the larger Earth home, our place, our bioregion, you know, our watershed. So that's something that is continuing today. Their charism was to school young women and girls, but they also strive to educate the entire community they served on all their values, whether it was action for justice or ecological consciousness. Part of the history of the congregation is to meet the needs of the times. And that, at the time that they were founded, they were meeting the needs for education for women, young women, girls, uh, in this part of the frontier, if you will. And so, always trying to meet the needs of the times, and as the needs change, meeting the needs uh, changes as well. Well, it was sometime in the 1990s when the IHM sisters' needs were changing. Their mother house, a 376,000 square foot Gothic building built in the 1930s, was in need of extensive repairs. Meanwhile, their congregation was aging and the population was declining. The mother house, which historically housed and trained the sisters who joined the community before they were sent out to teach, would now have to meet the health care needs of current and future residents. That's when they brought in Danielle Conroyd to manage the project. I was quite intrigued by the vision for what the sisters wanted to do because their vision is quite broad and quite compelling it goes beyond a building it goes to their campus it goes to how they live within a building how they teach others about living uh, sustainably the sisters were thinking beyond themselves they were thinking about the people who would use the building to use their off-quoted phrase, seven generations ahead. They had plans to use the space as licensed nursing care and senior assisted living apartments open to the public. For this, the building would either need to be entirely rebuilt or renovated drastically. But the sisters had already done reading and study and research and they wanted to, be, when they finally decided that they weren't going to build a new mother house, uh, I mean a new building, they were going to renovate the current one, they said we, we want to do it in a way that's earth friendly. We want to do it in a way that we reduce our dependence on non-renewable energy. We want to do it in a way that protects the earth. And, and, also, and so we want to do it in a way where this campus can become a learning laboratory for how to live sustainably. So even though it's our home, we're also doing this for the next generation and for the future, for others who will use this building when we no longer need it. So the sisters already had that mandate that they felt was a, ma a moral mandate for the 21st century. And that it was, sustainability was a pretty infrequently used word back in beginning when we first started like in late 90, 1998 uh, when this when I came on board and when this process was gearing up. The sisters conducted a nationwide search to find a team of architects who could meet their vision in terms of energy and sustainability before getting to work on the building in 2001. 
There were certain energy goals the sisters had on their list, and there weren't many people working on them at the time. Uh, one of the biggest requirements was to have an energy system, energy and cooling system, that was renewable energy, or, or at least would reduce the footprint uh, in terms of non-renewable energy. So that, that was quite a significant big step. And there was a lot that went into that in terms of the engineer doing, not trial runs, but looking at hydro, looking at solar, looking at wind, looking at geothermal, looking at all of those op opportunities for a renewable source of energy, and then saying, this is what I recommend, based on Monroe, based on the size of the building, based on the occupants. These will be primarily retired sisters. So we're not building a college campus dorm, so there's different needs. And that was um, one of the first decisions in terms of making it green. It was probably the largest geothermal installation in the Midwest when, at that time when this was installed because of the size of the building. It's 376,000 square feet. We did, again, a national search because there were not local firms that were doing this in Michigan. There were firms out of state that were doing it because other states, New York in particular, was requiring geothermal of any new school buildings that were going to be constructed because it was so cost effective. So that was uh, interesting in terms of people saying, well, it's so cold in Michigan. How is that going to work? It's, this can only work in warmer states, warmer climates. And as we learned, that's not true. It can work in Michigan because the heat of the earth, the temperature of the earth uh, is stable at about 55 degrees all year, even in the winter. Another major decision made was to collect gray water. So gray water is a system where you recycle water from sinks and showers. So the gray water is sinks and shower water. So it's been used, but it's not black water. It's not uh, sewer. It's not for the sewer. So this required a double plumbing system. So there's a piping system for regular that you would put in regularly for a building like this. And then there's a gray water piping system. And that routes water from sinks and showers only out to a constructed wetland that was constructed, that was excavated and built and planted with appropriate plants at different stages across this wetland to clean and filter the water. And the water comes back into the building to flush toilets. These choices were not always popular. When they were first rezoning, the gray water wasn't approved because the municipality never had to zone for gray water before. There were questions about how to tax it, how the water would smell, and whether fishing would still be allowed in the pond. But after a series of meetings with the neighbors, public hearings, and meetings with the city water department, it eventually was approved. And these decisions had a big payoff. The gray water reduced freshwater consumption by nearly 50% and the geothermal heating and cooling system that cost over a million dollars gave them a return on investment within eight years. Today, the Muller House ranks as one of the Midwest's largest residential sustainable renovations registered with the U.S. Green Building Council. The project earned LEED NC certification and 10 local, regional, and national awards, including two from the Environmental Protection Agency. 
they were, they were in the vanguard in terms of the adoption curve. Well, I think it's be, it came out of a spiritual foundation that they believed that their presence um, on earth and their mission was to meet the needs of, of, the, of the current um, time and that the earth was also in need of care because that was beginning to, people were beginning to understand the degradation, the pollution, the marginalization, um, pollution of water, air, and so on. And, and the sisters, out of their faith, wanted to witness a different way of living that would respect that all of creation. The spirit of ingenuity and passion for sustainability is something that rubbed off on many of their students, including our next community, Jesu Catholic Church and School in Detroit, where many of the IHM sisters taught. Uh, the Green Team is an organization that developed out of the parish small group home-based reading of Laudato Si. We read it in 2016, in other words, pretty much right after it came out. This is Jane Hemming Buell, a Jesu Parish Green Team volunteer. And one of the things that we began to talk about was what's next, and what's next was the Green Team. The Green Team is a group of parish volunteers who are working together on various sustainability projects for the parish and school. Though as Jane explains, they are each passionate about various things. We had one person who was retired, and in her retirement uh, became a master gardener, and joined the Xerxes Society, X-E-R-X-E-S, which is a focused on insects. Needless to say, her job prior to that was not dealing at all with insects, but she just followed a passion on wanting to learn more, understand more, and everybody has a story like that. That one's probably one of the more unique ones, but everybody on the team really has a story like that about what really made them become really interested. For me, it was a serious passion about water stewardship. We're in the Great Lakes Water Basin. It's the uh, largest freshwater basin in the earth by total area, largest freshwater. And second largest freshwater supply by, by volume. 21% of the world's wa uh, freshwater is in our area. It just struck me that since water's so important to life, that it was a critical responsibility if I could do anything about it. One of the first projects the team started to work on was a Gloryland garden. And Gloryland is a community garden that was started by parishioners. So we, we had people who were gardeners to begin with, and then people who, were, who had property that they took care of on their own, you know, their own homes. And uh, one of the things that we were becoming aware of was the importance of native plants. They use less water, they attract pollinators, and if we could attract pollinators, it would certainly help out Gloryland Garden. So one of the first things that we did was do a native plant garden. It's very different from what kind of the typical idea of American beautiful gardens are. And so there was some education that had to happen about why this was a desirable thing to do. It was desirable, but also necessary. Detroit's water department began charging drainage fees to any property with impervious surfaces. As a result, Jesu was charged almost $700 per acre of blacktop and concrete. 
The green team attended workshops to learn how Jezu could use its existing gardens and lawn to capture more runoff and storm swells. To divert water from Detroit's sewers, Jezu rerouted its gutters into 500-gallon cisterns in the school's courtyard. The cisterns connect to gravity-fed hoses, which water the courtyard garden. It has reduced Jezu's monthly drainage fee by 20%. What was once a flat lawn is now a sloping rain garden blanketed with black-eyed Susan and magenta coneflowers. Uh, but I would say that that was one of the first things. We knew that no matter what, we'd have to raise our own money. Jezu is an under-resourced, financially under-resourced parish. And we knew we would have to raise some budget money. And so we set upon something that makes us all smile right now because none of us would make claims about being seamstresses. Uh, but we, we made cloth uh, bags that people could use for shopping. And uh, we made 75 of them, figuring that that would be a pretty good beginning uh, amount for us, figuring we were hoping that we might end up with something like $500. We have three liturgies at our parish, the 5 o'clock on Saturday, 8 o'clock on Sunday, and 10.30. And by the 8 o'clock liturgy, we had sold out. We had none for our biggest liturgy. <laughs> so we knew that you know, the people were at least interested in paying attention. And so we started small with a, um, a, a native garden and then uh, branched out to a small demonstration garden. It's a rain garden. And both of those are right in the area where people normally walk into the parish. So they were really visible projects. Another one of Jesus' bigger projects is a lot less visible. That is, unless you are standing on the roof of the school. One of the things was that... Uh, we installed, when I say we, the parish installed uh, uh, solar panels on the, on the uh, roof of the school, not visible. So it was necessary to find some way to make that project visible to people, and it was one of the kinds of uh, bulletin board projects that we did during that period. A culmination of years of research and fundraising, the solar panels installed on the 97-year-old school produce enough energy to cover 26% of Jesus' electricity needs during the school year and 54% over the summer. In one year alone, Jesu pocketed savings of almost $4,000. When it comes to inside the school, the Green Team's latest goal is their zero-waste project. It's a school-based project, and it's a five-year process of getting to zero waste in the school. Think about that. Paper. School zero waste. It's going to be a challenge. We have a lunch program and that's where we started and uh, the uh, current part of the project focuses on waste reduction and what's happened is the students have gotten really involved. They've uh, gotten to the point where instead of 17 bags a day of waste they are down to two. 87 percent reduction and just in waste bags, we've saved $150 a month. Uh, what, they, what the students do is they have three five-gallon containers and they separate their food after they've eaten, first of all, into a share table, which is food that they haven't opened or eaten that they want to share with other people. Uh, secondly, they do some recycling of food waste, food scraps of uh, leftover milk that they have, and then genuinely recyclable objects. So uh, any kind of thing that we have that would be in that category. Recyclable uh, containers, for example. 
Uh, and then the kids, uh, after lunch, take the, at least two of those barrels out to the Earth Cube, which is behind the building that we're talking in. And it's a composting system that will create uh, opportunities for our gardens. Currently, the Green Team is actively pursuing a relationship with a parish, San Mateo in Puerto Rico, that is seeking to shelter and support Haitian immigrants who have been fleeing disasters of the hurricane. Jesu parishioners will travel to Puerto Rico to visit the parish and see what sort of material help they can provide. This is what brings it all home for Jane and other members of her group. It's a reminder that for those in Detroit, climate change may mean an arduous tax on their blacktop acreage or the choice to provide electricity in a cleaner way. For many others, the reality of climate change means a whole lot more. And this is what Pope Francis addressed most passionately in Laudate Deo. He really ties it in to the impact on the most vulnerable people. And the people who are most affected are not the causes of climate change, but they're terribly affected. Their, their health is affected, their homes are affected, the property where they might do agriculture is affected. There's so many ways in which people are really hurt by the changes that are going on. And I think, I think care for people is something that uh, Pope Francis was able to see a part of what he calls integral ecology, integral ethics, is that he sees that people are a really important factor. It's not just making sure that we do something different in terms of our energy production, but we really think about during the processes who's being harmed and how can we mitigate that harm. I think that's a significant contribution of both documents. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thinking about the probability of dying is something that none of us wants to face. No matter what we do, all of us will pass away one day. Preparing now is a great way to help our loved ones during their grieving process and ensure our final wishes are followed. Our caring friends at the Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services can help you. Visit cfcsdetroit.org or call 734-285-2155.